I cultivated these relationships over five years uh, and it got down to about five names, right? Um, but five years later, when I was interviewing at the Galilean Group at this hedge fund, I had five phone calls of the heads of trading desks all around Wall Street who had now had an invested um, interest in my career because I made a couple of phone calls a year and, and I was polite and I was respectful. Um, and so wow. the jobs I didn't get catapulted my career five years later. And so I think it's it's so important to, to cultivate relationships. So if you don't get a job, that doesn't mean like it's over. You're listening to the Steady Trade Podcast. A podcast that inspires traders to make meaningful strides and pursue their passions. Your hosts are Tim Bowen, the lead trainer at Stocks to Trade Pro, Kim Ann Curtin, the Wall Street coach, and Steven Johnson, the up-and-coming trader who's always willing to learn. Together, we'll sit down with experts to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and discuss how all traders can level up their trading careers. Welcome back, everybody, to the Steady Trade Podcast. Today is going to be a very cool day. Uh, we are getting lucky enough to interview Tony Duff, who is the author of a New York Times bestseller called The Buy Side. Uh, that was on Amazon's best uh, business book that year that it came out. What was the year it came out, Tony? 2013. 2013. Currently, Tony is a consultant on Showtime's new series, Billions. He's also a journalist for CNBC, a public speaker, and he's working on his next book, which I can't wait to read. Uh, his career on Wall Street spanned 15 of the most dramatic years in finance. His early years were at Morgan Stanley and then at the infamous Galleon Group. Uh, and then he co-founded a billion-dollar hedge fund all the way through to the collapse. Uh, he's pretty much seen it all and done it all, and his experience can really help others uh, with understanding this business. Regarding his book, The Buy Side, I want to say that I read his book in literally two sittings. I can't even remember the last time I read a book that fast, could not put it down, Tony. It was, you know, you. certainly from my years in Wall Street, it felt like being home. And it also was just riveting to just because I wanted to know how it all ended and how it ended for you personally. So thank you for coming to our podcast. We were introduced by JJ Gorilla, Stephen. So <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, have to have you on. So thank so you. I, so you guys are all friends and connected with each other and then know each other. Yeah, yeah, we go we go way back, and ah, thank nice. you uh, both for for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. You know, I think right now what I'm going to ask you is, what do you feel is because of all that's gone on? You know, we're recording this today. What February is it? February third. February third, twenty twenty one. Yeah, the third. <laughs> I'm like, what day does it? It feels if you, everything moves so fast lately. I'm kind of shocked at how fast. The calendar is already blowing through 2021. Um, but, you know, last week, uh, of course, we all saw the chaos with GME and Wall Street Bets and Robinhood not letting day traders be able to buy if they wanted to. So I'm just curious, because you are on, you know, the buy side, what, what was your take when you first heard it all kind of coming forward? Um, it, it it definitely felt criminal when, when they, you know, wouldn't let certain trades go through. Um, I actually got a few messages sent to me that day 
and 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 people were wigging out because like they were long something and desperately trying to get out and this one message was like he finally got out and 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 he was like i feel like i need a bump in a book deal like he was so like this one day of trading like just like took everything out of him and um it it it, it was funny at the time but um yeah you know the thing is my, my opinion is uh the retail trader has never had a better opportunity in terms of um, accessing information, right? It used to be a bigger disadvantage. It still is a disadvantage. Um, but the day trader, uh, which we used to call dumb money, uh, has never been smarter. Um, and it's an amazing opportunity. My biggest concern would be them changing the rules, right? Like, Wall Street doesn't like getting taken. So, you know, <laughs> like I remember, you know, this is sort of similar. I got screwed in 2008. I couldn't have been more bearish, right? I ended up only being up 10%, which is kind of atrocity because I was so bearish. Um, but it was impossible to, to hold on to my shorts because they were just like going straight down. But uh, <laughs> I remember the day when they, when they, they when they, they stopped short selling. And it like, it just, it changed the entire game and I got screwed because they changed the rules in the middle of it. And, and so it sort of felt like that. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a really exciting time. Um, I'm, I, you know, I'm just by nature, I root for the little guy, right? I, I love a Disney film where, you know, the, you know, the underdog wins. Um, but you know, the, the rules are going to be changing. Uh, they're going to, they're going to try to make it harder. And so it's, it's going to be a battle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just super curious and it's a good question to, to ask some of the guys from hedge funds. Like how, how do you view kind of trading or how do you think new traders should view it? Do you think it's a case of longs versus shorts or do you think it's a case of uh, institutions versus retailer? Because wait, oh sorry. Go on. Because what? No, what no. I, sorry, I'll let you go. No, no, no. I was going to ask you to reframe the question because I wasn't quite sure what you were asking. Yeah, no. So I mean, like I said, I started trading about four years ago. There's a lot of people starting trading now, and it, and it's kind of it's kind of put to people like it's a battle of long versus short, right. longs bears bears versus balls. But my experience as I've got more into it is it's kind of day traders versus hedge funds or day traders versus market makers. And it's like, how yep. can you be on the side of the big money or how can you not get shook out by the big money? And I just wanted to know your thoughts on that, being on the other side. Right. So, so before I answer your question directly, one of the things that like helped me succeed in my career was identifying the market that I was in. Okay. Because... 2007 was not the same market as 2008, right? Or, or, or earlier, you know, uh, technical analysis was, was working great in the mid 2000s, right? And then we kind of came into a, uh, like sort of a sort of a acquisition market where every morning I was coming in and like three companies were being bought out, right? So identifying what market we are in is paramount to your success. So to answer your question, I believe it's constantly changing what, you know, kind of what the rules are or what, you know, the consequences or ramifications uh, for a particular market is. So, um, 
you know, they're, you know, right now, yeah, it feels like it's, it's the day traders against hedge funds, but like, honestly speaking, you know, on a normal day, hedge funders have zero respect for the retail trader, you know, and they still do call them dumb money. Um, but you know, you, you know, what's going to happen. Hedge funds are going <clears> to <throat> invest a shit ton of money into figuring out how to scrape data into these chat rooms and into all of these like yeah. and, and figure out how to monetize that. Yeah, because I mean, because to a degree, I felt like it was already happening because you'd see stocks that should break down in the get held up. Or you'd, you'd see stocks that um, there would just be steadily inclining, 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 inclining. And everyone's saying it's a breakout, it's a breakout. And then you get the hardest rug pull, you get the hardest sell off. And we always thought, ah, it's the big money leaving. It's uh, they've ripped right. it up to a break off to sell into the liquidity. Yep. And yeah, I, I just want your opinion on it. It does that happen? How prevalent is it? Um, you know, I mean, is it still prevalent? Yes. Uh, it also depends on what you're trying to do, right? Like you used to see more often, and it doesn't happen as much anymore, but you would see sort of quarter end window dressing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but but you don't really get paid if you're a hedge fund, you don't get paid until the last day of the year. And there's a section in my book where I talk about it. I used to take you know, a list of my illiquid names and, and the last five minutes of the year, just jack it as high yeah, as I yeah, can, yeah. you know, because I got paid on that. Um, but there, you know, there were times where like, you know, I used to be, I remember I was short um, like express scripts. Right. And, and there was a huge short interest and, you know, looking at the chart, like I, I would load up on a particular afternoon to try to stick it to, you know, someone like Alliance and, you know, if I could hold in there long enough, I knew that they would end up just capitulating <laughs> and buying and then I would sell it to them. Right. So like yeah, yeah. I was I was trying to fuck with people depending on the price. And I'm sorry for swearing. Yep. Oh, um, okay. But yeah. So so if, if it was my, to my advantage to manipulate a stock price, I would do it because I'm trying to make money. Yeah, and I, I've just got one last question on this topic because I know Kim's super keen to jump in. Oh, but it's, it's because I just know everyone wants to hear the answers to these questions on the podcast. But it's like, what is there anything a day trader can do to kind of be less dumb money? Mm -hmm. Good question. Wait, be less what? Oh, be dumb money? less dumb. So my accent is tough for, for you guys. I'm sorry. So, I don't know. It's okay. Um, <laughs> So I'm a B student from Ohio University with a 970 SAT, right? And so I knew from day one that I know nothing, right? That's my base. I don't know anything. And the fact that I sort of took that attitude that I literally don't know anything, it made me infinitely smarter, right? Yeah. So like, I would say, you know, if dumb money knows that they're dumb money, then they're infinitely smarter, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think I think that's a big part of it, knowing, you know, what, what you're capable and what uh, are your strengths, you know, what are your weaknesses, and to really be aware of what kind of trader you are uh, and then use that to your advantage. Cool. That's a great, that's a great, it's just, it's just great because knowing what, uh, where your strengths are and part of what you talk about in your book is 
your will your willingness to constantly connect to people build those relationships which ultimately helped you really understand where to focus in the market like you were hearing the things that other people weren't hearing or even with their research because you were becoming friends with people right. and and you said at one point i respect people who played the game correctly become my friend first and then we talk business right and that and undoubtedly then, is why those people were willing to share with right. you that inside information. No, yeah, I, I definitely needed a community. Like I wasn't going to be able to do it on my own. And I knew that, right? And I knew that my strength um, really was at happy hour, right? Like that's where I was going to shine. And I knew that and I was okay with that. But like, here's an example of, um, so I had an interview at Lehman Brothers Um and this guy was kind of just like a jerk. Like he was just like one of those interviewers who just like are trying to trip you up. Right. Yeah. And like, so I'm doing it, the interview it's going eh, to like, and then at some point he's like all smug. Right. He goes to me, he goes, he, he asked me uh, a currency question, which I'd never traded currency. Right. So like, I didn't know. And, and he, he knew I didn't know. And so he asked me, and I said to him, I go, can you give me a minute? He's like, sure. I get up. I leave the conference room. I go walk and I ask someone, I'm like, where's your currency ed, uh, desk? And they're like, oh, it's over there. If you don't pass the uh, you know, fixed income guys. So I walk down. I ask one guy. He doesn't know. I ask the next guy. And I, I ask him the question. And then I walk back into the conference room. And I sit down and I, and I tell him the answer. And this, this interviewer is like, I saw you ask my two guys. And I said, yeah. I said, Knowing where to find an answer and knowing the answer are the same thing. And he was like, when can you start? <laughs> so because I knew, I was like, I didn't know the answer, but you know what? I know how to find an answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and that tribal like willingness to create a tribe around you. That's one of the strengths I see in this past year and a half. I've been around the, the depth of these, of day traders the right. day traders know how to rely on each other. And that's ultimately the power of what I see with Wall Street bets. You know, it's this right. ability to kind of have each other's back in a certain way yeah. up against the big bad wolf, you know? Yeah. Well, and Gun one thing like yeah. I think is paramount to building that community, you know, and sometimes when I, when I, when I give talks, I talk about uh, put getting screwed into your budget, right? Plan <laughs> on getting screwed or taking advantage of because if you operate from a place of fear that, well, this guy's going to take advantage of me or like, you know, I'm going to give him this information. I'm not getting anything back. Like if you operate from there, you are not going to you, you like fulfill everything that you, you your, your potential. And so if you plan on getting screwed, let's say, let's say you try to make 10 new relationships, uh, you know, two take advantage of you and it's not worth it. Five or six are just kind of like nothing, you know, but you bear, you know, one or two are phenomenal relationships. That's a home run, right? Yeah. And so I'm not suggesting you got to manage the risk. So I'm not suggesting like you do something that completely puts you at risk, right? Mm. But if, if, if I got a good call and, and there's a new relationship, some guy that I met at the bar last night or, you know, friend of a friend or whatever, uh, I'll give him that call, you know, because yeah. we live in a favor economy, right? And the best way yes. to get a favor is to do someone else a favor first. And so I'll do that a couple of times. And if I, if I don't get anything back, okay, no harm, no foul, whatever. Um, and so uh, the, 
the best thing you can do is try to help other people. Uh, and then the other thing that I would just add on to that, like a friend of mine, uh, he's a famous MMA fighter named Frank Shamrock. And he coined this thing, it's called the power of three. And at all times he believes, and I believe it too, you should have a mentor, let's say a coach like yourself, right? You should have a peer and you should all, and this is where most people sort of drop the ball. You should always have someone who is, well, not below you, like in the sense, like I'm like right. not in a bad way, but someone who is behind you and let's say knowledge or whatever. Uh, and, and, and if you have all three of those working at the same time, yeah, it, it, you'll have incredible success. And, and people don't realize that by me helping, like, so I do a lot of screenwriting now, right? And, and yeah. I have a few, a few people who are just kind of getting into it. And I spend time with them, you know, once a day, helping them. And I'm refining the basics. I'm, you know, regurgitating everything that I already know, but I'm making my skills sharper. So yeah. uh, I think that's really important is helping other people. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Makes so much sense, especially for day traders, because I think even, you know, yesterday, very unexpectedly, I did an Instagram live, right? And Stephen hopped on uh, by chance and just us talking about it and some of the other people, there were a couple of, you know, new newbies who were in there, but just they start to talk about what they're up against. It, I just see all the time, those who have been in it for a long time, like Stephen, and then there's somebody who's a beginner and they'll say something and it's, and even for me, I'm still a beginner. It, I can see that richness. It's like the, right. the it's like the, the tapestry just gets thicker and thicker. Yeah. And actually um, it's a, it's a good lead in for uh, another thing that I used to do, which day traders probably could take an opportunity uh, to, to do also. Um, so since I was the head trader, I was dealing with the PM and, and all the analysts all the time, right? And in a like hectic or like quick moving market, uh, it, it, was, it was more difficult for me to sort of get a read on what we should actually do. And so what I used to do on like Friday afternoons or like a quiet time, I used to walk around the office and I would have conversations with these analysts and they would be speaking free of any emotion, right? And I would kind of get out of them and be like, oh man, he's like, you know, if Apple ever went to, you know, this price, I'd back up the truck, right? Yeah. They're not staring at the screen and they're not emotional, right? Um, three weeks later, you know, I'm looking at like my little uh, post-it note on, you know, on, on my desk and it says, oh, Apple, you know, buy it at this price. But the market's down 5%, you know, people are freaking out. I'll say to the analyst, I'm like, has anything changed? Anything fundamentally changed? He's like, no, but the market's down. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, you identified this as a price, right? And it's scary, but that's when you should buy it. So like having conversations with people when you have removed the emotion from, from the equation, you get really, really good information. Interesting. Interesting. Stephen, what do you think about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting you say it because it, it it, it kind of leads into the point of make a plan, enter, like make a plan, know when you get in, know when you get out, enter, and then stick to the plan. And because right. when you're involved in the trades, um, you're more likely to make emotional decisions that might be a mistake because you're making them with emotion. Right. I mean, but I, I don't really believe in that though. I believe make a trades and constantly evaluate it. But then if you feel like you're losing objectivity, if you feel like you're getting emotional, then maybe it's time to step back. But I mean, right. what's your opinion? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing, right? Like discipline is so key, whether it's trading socks or counting cards in Vegas, right? Like you you have to be disciplined. Um, but you, you said something interesting to me that I, I remember I used to get so frustrated with uh, some of the people I worked with. Um, I used to hate when, when I would get a response that was like, well, I, I, I bought it at 87 and I'm like, I don't, I don't care where you bought it. Right. Like every single morning you walk in, you're choosing to buy that stock at that opening price. Right. So I don't care. Look, 99.9% of day traders are not concerned about tax implications. Right. So don't, don't tell me where you bought it. I don't care today. Like what is the best thing for you to do? Um, so I, I think way too many people kind of get caught up on where they enter the trade, because I'll tell you this, like one of the things people said, uh, I had a great skill set of it was, was um, taking losses, right? If I sell Amgen at, at 95 and it goes to 70, I'm, I'm, that's an awesome trade. Yeah, I lost five bucks on the trade, but it went down to 70, right? So if, if, if you're good at taking a loss, you, you'll play this game for three decades. That, that's one of the things that constantly repeats in the book is your absolute neutrality to loss. That was really quite astonishing. You really were not like, it, it was an effort for you to be in neutrality. You really were not attached to well, loss. I do have a secret, which I think I mentioned once in the book. So I was diagnosed with dysimium, a low level grade of depression. So I've always struggled uh, with sort of like suppressing emotions was almost came natural to me. You know, you, you could blame it on masculinity and how I brought up and all of that. Uh, but that actually worked to my advantage of being able to just be like black and white, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, the, the other piece, there's one of the quotes that I, or one of the reviews that I read about your book uh, and the gentleman was, it was Jeffrey Attic and he, a Loyola uh, law professor, and he said, it's a great opportunity to question the market drawing people with addictive personalities and make any connections you know of more with the hour between dog and wolf, which is one of my favorite books. Because of your struggles with addiction, because of the nature of Wall Street, and I, I really feel sort of that environment just kind of facilitates addiction in a lot totally. of ways. What What's, you know, what's your take on that concept, do you, do you feel that there's a certain kind of temperament uh, that it does encourage it, even even any kind of involvement with the market? Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely attracts a certain type of person, right? Um, and, you know, that's not to say that Wall Street is full of, of addicts, because that's, that's not true either. Um, but it, 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 it plays into it, you know, it, it was, for me, it was kind of like the perfect storm in terms of, you know, my, my, my personality and sort of how I operated and then, you know, kind of getting to a point where I was making like in, insane money and like the action of, of trading, like it was all one giant cocktail. Um, you know, the thing I would say is, which personally, you know, I needed to be more self-aware, right? And I went to Wall Street for the wrong reasons. I was there for the lifestyle and, you know, the, the, the money, right? Yeah. And then the other thing that took me years to identify was people used to be like, Tony, you're so driven. And I like, 
inside I was kind of like, be like, yeah, by discontent, like I was never happy. Right. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, I wasn't driven. I was just chasing that next thing. And um, I did a Ted talk um, and it was called if then uh, my entire life, I've, I've sort of uh, operated on this belief. Okay. So when I was making $22,000 a year at Morgan Stanley in 1994, I would say to my friends at the bar, if I could just make $50,000 a year, all of my problems would go away, right? And then if I could get that girl, then I would be happy. If I could get that promotion and get on the buy side, then I would have a career. So in 2003, I'm sitting on my couch down in Tribeca in my 2,700 square foot apartment, dialing the 800 number to Chase. I punch in my account number and the automated voice says, your balance is 1,800,700. I hit repeat. Your balance is 1,800,000, repeat. And for, for the moment, that money made me feel better. But um, what was so interesting was like, in that same moment, I was saying to myself, if I could just make $3 million next year, <laughs> then everything would be okay. Um, and so it took me many, many years to kind of get off that hamster wheel. And, and, and the truth is, I still sort of, operate in that fashion but the biggest difference is awareness right i'm 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 aware that i do it so i can i can course correct and i can kind of deal with it as as it's happening like i remember mm-hmm. when uh my book came out and about a week later i got a phone call from my publisher and 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 he said attorney he's like there's some rumblings it, it might become a new york times bestseller and i was like oh my god you know i hang up the phone i'm like if, if I'm a New York Times bestseller, then my life's going to change and everything's going to, you know, like, and I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm doing it again. Right. But it only took an hour versus 15 years. Right. So, um, it, the fact that I'm aware that I do that is kind of given me a superpower. And it's the same thing with, you know, I'm, I'm 11 years sober. Right. And, and, and by admitting that I'm powerless over alcohol and drugs, gives me the power back. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, did you, did you find that when you first, you know, because you speak very, you know, honestly and very vulnerably about what it was like as you tried to kind of, you tried to compartmentalize it thinking, oh, I can hold it over here in a certain way and I'll only kind of dabble, so to speak. Did you, did you find that you had support. I, I'm trying to recall that part in the book. Like, did you find support around you or did you keep that to yourself, the desire to want to, you know? It was, um, if I'm understanding the question, I, 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 it was, I tried to keep it a secret as long as I could mm-hmm. to keep the gig going, right? Like, yeah. um, so early on, it was, you know, just my, my, girlfriend at the time who was the mother of my daughter um and but I would I would I would hide things from her right and you know I I had multiple drug dealers because I didn't want them judging me like me calling on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday like I'd break it up because I didn't want to be judged I mean how pathetic is that but um you know and since my book came out so many people have reached out to me and they're like attorney I wish I wish I would have known um and my response has basically been like it's better off that you didn't because i would have lied to you right like yeah i i needed 
they hit rock bottom and I needed to, to, to help myself. Um, but you know, there, there were people before and after my second rehab who, uh, have fully supported me and, and, and has helped. And, um, yeah. you know, similar to, to trading, uh, living a full and purposeful life also requires a community. Um, you know, I once heard you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Right. And so it's like, you better pick those five people like, well, <laughs> right. Absolutely. So. Be really intentional about it for sure. Yeah. For sure. I remember, sorry, it's, it's similar to that. Um, I read a book once called the mastery of love uh, by Don Miguel Riaz. And uh, one of the things I took from the book is very interesting is um, you're going to attract the kind of person that you are. Right. So mm -hmm. If you don't love yourself and if you aren't in a good, let's say, place spiritually, emotionally, and whatever, then that's the kind of people you're going to attract in your life. And so it's like, you got to get yourself right before you do anything else. Yeah, for sure. And I, I would argue that that's even true for trading. Definitely, definitely. The more, the more clean kind of that you are, and I mean, emotionally, you know, the better chance you have of being able to observe the market as uh, an observer and then make choices as, you know, with your patterns, with whatever it is that you're, you know, going to come into it with and how you want to play it. But if you're not neutral, you know, you, you're not going to be able to see, you're going to have your biases. You'll be looking through your biases, I think. Yeah. Steven, Very do you true. want to say anything? Yeah, no, I just... I I'm still working the way through the book, but in the early stages, um, you were talking about the fact that um, you got a bunch of sales jobs, right? You'd had a bunch of sales, you got recommended and you, you went, I think it was Morgan Stanley you went to, and you you, you just saw the, the trading floor and you were thinking, oh shit, this is something that could be really cool. I'm just wondering like, did you know that, did you have a, like most traders, like they were into reading the Wall Street Journal for a young age. Were you like one of those traders who just, it was born into them, you knew it was you or? No, I mean, I was a journalism major, right? Like I showed up more, uh, North, uh, New York City in 1994, accidentally got interviews. But soon as I stepped on the Lehman Brothers uh, trading floor, um, I knew then that I wanted in, yeah. you know, like um, it was just something you know, CNBC didn't even exist when I, but I, but I will say, um, I remember I was like 12 years old and, and uh, me and my sisters all got like $500 from my grandmother, like when she passed away. And my older sisters were like, you know, buying boots and dresses and whatnot. And I was at 12, I, I bought, I bought a stock. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so it was in there. And, but and you were a remarkably then, good trader. You were a remarkably <laughs> good trader. Like, but back then, we literally, the way we got stock prices was the next day in the Wall Street Journal. The newspaper the next day <laughs> told us where it closed. Like that's like how archaic it was. But uh, you mentioned another thing, which I didn't put in the book, but I think it's important um, for people to hear. Um, and I call it planting seeds. Um, so I started at Morgan Stanley in, in 94. And in, in, in my travels, I probably had met about 30 people, you know, let's say like three people from Lehman, three people from Merrill, three people, like every stop 
I kind of, I, I would meet three people. And so about two weeks after I started at Morgan Stanley, I took my list of, you know, my names um, and, and phone numbers uh, and I went into a conference room and, and I started calling them one by one. And I'm like, I remember I called this guy, Mike and Lehman. I was like, Hey Mike, it's Turney. He's like, Turney's like, we don't, you know, sorry, we still don't have a job for you. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm calling to let you know, I got a job at Morgan Stanley in their private wealth management. I'm getting ready to take my series seven, my 63. I'm really excited, but I just wanted to thank you again for, you know, taking the time, whatever. So I went through my list of 30 people. Six months later, that list was probably like down to like 25. And I called them all back and said, oh, I passed my series seven and, uh, you know, whatnot. And so I cultivated these relationships over five years uh, and it got down to about five names, right? Um, but five years later, when I was interviewing at the Galilean Group at this hedge fund, I had five phone calls of the heads of trading desk all around Wall Street who had now had an invested um, interest in my career because I made a couple of phone calls a year and, and I was polite and I was respectful. Um, and so wow. the jobs I didn't get catapulted my career five years later. And so I think it's it's so important to, to cultivate relationships. So if you don't get a job, that doesn't mean like it's over. You can still cultivate a relationship out of that. So, you know, I think- Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. And even I, I, I think that's apply, applicable for day traders because ultimately even, you know, I've been on the study trade podcast now a year and a half. Can you believe it's a year and a half, Stephen? It's like crazy I, did, I couldn't have thought that, no. I thought, I thought a year maybe- no, a year and a half Impossible. and it's it's crazy and and yet what i can see is that people that i met a year and a half ago like so many people that i've met and s some of the momentum that's you know i'm experiencing now it's from just these relationships people right. that met you before anything happened or a conversation you had or something contribution in some way i've been and it's like that momentum just built. So especially for day traders, because I think it's it's a very it's a, it's a very important world to have those relationships, especially just because of the loneliness factor as a day trader. You yeah. it's a very lonely job. You know, at least back in the day in finance, you guys could walk around an office and have that sense of community and encouragement. And even ball busting is kind of part of that family kind of feeling. And yeah. now you know, but day traders have never really had that, you know, they've always been rather isolated. So that's such a, a great story. I'm so glad you shared that. It's really powerful. Very true. Very do, true. Do you know what the irony is in that as well? Um, you get, you build a reputation by kind of helping each other on Twitter, but the irony is we're actually all in competition with one another. So you'll be friendly on the face of it and help them to a point, but deep down you're thinking, I don't want them to know what i know right in a right. way in a way so it's a it's a weird one but but from it, yeah i mean if you can get over that hump though then you're going to be in, in 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 a much better situation like another thing that i talk about sometimes which i think people stumble on is results versus your actions right so like mm -hmm. we live in a very results oriented country like city like everything is results 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 right and if you 
forget about results and only focus on your action, mm. I guarantee you, you'll end up having better results. And, and, wow. and, and there's this sort of magical relief. Mm. And I'll give you a, just a, um, a quick anecdote. So in 2014, I was asked to be um, a consultant on the show Billions, right? And so I, I wanted the gig, right? I, I, and so like that weekend, I read the script twice. I took notes. I typed them up. I, I read them. I read the script again. Like I was, I was an animal. I walked in there on, on, on that Monday and I blew it out of the water. Like I just crushed it. Right. I went in and presented everything. When I walked out of that, uh, that office, it didn't matter if I got the job because I knew that I had done everything in my power to make sure that I was prepared. And yeah, would, would have I been bummed a little bit that I didn't get it? Sure. But let me flip it. Cerny, 10 years earlier, would have spent the weekend like calling people like, well, wait, do you know the Dave? Do you know Brian? Like, you're like trying to manipulate the situation, trying to figure out like how I'm going to, you know, how I'm going to manipulate this to, to my advantage. I wouldn't have gotten any sleep Sunday night. I would have went in there. Maybe I did good. Maybe I didn't. And then the next 48 hours, I would have spent just like obsessing over like, did I get it or not? Or didn't I get it or not? And, and, and so when I focus on the results, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't work out as well for me. So, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying, like not wanting other people to, to do well, if, if I only focus on my action, I promise you, your results will be better. Damn, that just feels like a Zen Cohen for trading, Stephen, doesn't it? I, I, look, at, at the end of the day, it's a big pie. It's a very big pie and there's a lot of it money is. to go around, right? So it, there's no harm in building some good relationships. But the, the, the struggle with trading is um, you have a three well, How about this? I would, I, I would challenge you, okay? You have a quantitative number there every, every single day, right? Like at yeah. the end of the day, you have a quantitative, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Judge yourself qualitative every single day. And, yeah. and, and compare it, right? Because if you lose $10,000, you know, today, but you make a brand new relationship and and it seems like it, it will, you know, bear a lot of fruit, like that's a great day. Yeah, no, I think, if, I actually think in that exact way, but I, I'll always say it, it's about the process, not the profits. Am I following the process really well? Am I sticking to the process? If the market shifted a little bit, am I, did I allow the appropriate room to, to change the process. If, the, if there's a ton, ton of Robin Hooders and the patterns are more bullish, am I shorting a little bit higher? Am I, am I being a bit smaller until it does parabolic? So I am like, the money comes, right? If you do the right things, the money yep. comes. Um, yep. But what I'm most curious about is the two, three, four years where you lose all of the time or a lot of the time. And you think, am I a trader? Like, am I, am I a trader? Is it in my DNA? People will think. And there's a lot of people right. listening who will think, what are the characteristics of the trader? Can the debate defined for you? I mean, well, I mean, you took it to an extreme, right? Because if someone came to me and said, I've lost, you know, hundred thousand dollars every, every year for the last four years, I might agree that you shouldn't be trading. <laughs> without right? that, just what are the characteristics that define without any like monetary part? Um, again, like I'll go back to what I said, like at the beginning, I know nothing, right? Mm -hmm. I know nothing. I want to stay curious and I want to constantly sort of try to improve. And, and, and like you said, the process, like if, if, if I continually 
sort of hone that and, and, and try to um, get better each and every day, like that's, that's, that's great. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're continually losing money, you're doing something wrong. Right. Yeah. So, wait, you know did I not understand the question? No, no, you you, you said it perfectly. You answered perfectly. Um, I just love, love when you use the word curious and curiosity, uh, that describes a good trader. It's, it's, I think being curious in the market and always asking questions is, is the quickest way to success. Right. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, which, you know, don't, don't take this to the bank, but like, I've also told people, I'm like, don't overthink things, right? Like, um, little example, I remember this is probably five years ago, maybe six years ago. My daughter's 15 now. So she was like eight, nine or 10. And she begged me, begged me for a Fitbit, right? Begged me. <laughs> and, 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 you know, like I'm, I'm like an addict. So like, if I'm going to buy something, I use, I buy the most expensive one. Right. So I spent like $150 on this Fitbit, right? She has it. I'm not even lying. Two days later, it's like collecting dust on top of my microwave. Yeah. And I like, I just sort of observed and, and like, she never even thought about it again. And I said to my friends, I was like, we got to short this. Like, like I didn't overthink oh, it. Wow. I was like, wow. oh. I'm like, this is a trend that is not sustainable. Like, you know, and so like, I didn't overthink it or, or same, same thing. I made a ton of money, but in 2008, on Crocs because they were just so damn ugly, right? And I'm like, at, at some point, like this is this is going to be over. And so I was short the stock, and you know, but like you know, I've also had losers like that when I didn't understand Netflix, right? I didn't understand the whole streaming platform. In like 2010 or 11, I, I got Netflix, and the library was terrible, and I was just yeah. like. Why would people, why would people, and I didn't, I didn't get it. Like, and the stock was like, you know, astronomical. And, and so I fought that because, you know, I thought I didn't understand the story. Right. So it, it's not foolproof, but many times when you just have like a, a, a small idea, like it, it's worth putting a small trade in there. Yeah. But, but just try and, and if, if the price, if the market follows what you think, then it, it kind of works. I mean, I know, I know another trader who got on an American airlines plane and it was full. And then he checked the stock price and it was low. And he just thought, well, this is stupid. They seem to be doing well. <laughs> so he bought it and yep. made a, a ton of money on it. Just wow. silly things. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, that seemed a little extreme. You know, you're on one plane on <laughs> one day. Like, I don't know if my brain would go there, but. You know. <laughs> but the curiosity, it's what you're talking about. It's curiosity. One of, yeah. the, one of the quotes in your book, there's a saying on Wall Street that being late is the same thing as being wrong. And I, that, that quote, and, but I have, to, I have to speak to this one too. <laughs> Getting somebody's breakfast wrong <laughs> is worse yeah. than losing somebody's money. And I was just, when I read that, I was like, God, I, it's so true. <laughs> Don't get the breakfast wrong. Oh, yeah. Dude, your career's over. If you get the breakfast order wrong, like your career is over. Over. It's crazy, right. but true. If you, can't, if you can't handle a bacon, egg, and cheese order, you can't, you can't trade a million shares of IBM. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty simple. <That's> 
And I also like at, when oh I was at Galleon, I learned like, you know, the, I tell a story where I had to see it in the corner for five minutes, but at Galleon, oh, I really God, learned great. a work ethic that like, I mm. remember my, my, my direct boss asked me to find out something. I, I don't remember what the question was, but he's like, I need you to find this out. And I made like three or four phone calls, couldn't find it. And I, and I went back to him. I was like, Hey Dave, I couldn't find it. And, and he looked at me. I thought he was going to hit me. Right. Like <laughs> he was shaking. And on that day, what I realized, I was like, unless I go back and say, all right, I made these 99 phone calls. I, I went to the library and I just, you know, discovered this on Microbeach and I did this and I did that. And I still don't have the answer. Like right. that's the only acceptable. I don't know. Yes. Um, yes. So, you know, it, it, it is the, I, it feels like, I, you know, from my own journey, it was like Navy SEAL training that yeah. experience there. You just always delivered perfection, always the first time, and it had to be instant. It was just the highest level of expectations where everything after that is like a cakewalk. It really is. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and like one of the things like I loved about Wall Street people, I, I learned to anticipate, right? Like, and little pet peeves would, would, would drive me insane. But like when I would see someone pull up in a cab, and then, then they're reaching into their purse and, and they're looking for their money. It's like, listen to me, five blocks ago, you knew you were five blocks from your stop. If you're not getting your money as the car is stopping and handing it, and I'm like, what are you doing, right? Like, anticipate. But like, they pull over and I'm sitting there, like I'm outside of the car waiting to get in it. And like, that's when they open their purse. I'm like, want to shake them. Exactly. You know, they don't work in finance, that person. That's what you yeah. know instantaneously. That's that's what. And there's another quote where you speak about, uh, you know, just how determined you have to be. What was the quote where you said something about, you know, just to you have to because you can do more damage by being tentative than making a wrong choice. Talk a little yeah. bit about that. Cause I think that's the same for day traders in my experience. Yeah. I mean, the team would get trampled, right? So um, it, it'd be the same thing with if, if, if you were playing football, right? If you go out there trying not to get injured, guess what? You're going to get injured, right? So like, if you do have a plan and process, like you were saying, and, and you stick to it, like you'll, you'll be fine. But if you play scared or, or timid, there's a really strong possibility that you're going to, you're going to, you know, lose. And it, and it goes back to what I was saying before about putting in the budget, like getting screwed because like, if you're trying so hard not to lose money, yeah, you're either going to lose money. You're definitely not going to make money. And it's like, what are you doing? Right. So like yeah. it, um, I'm not saying, you know, be bold and, you know, go skydiving off, you know, buildings but like you know yeah do you, do you agree with that Stephen? that concept about more damage being tentative than making a wrong choice no i mean i just i believe in general just to focus on what you want don't focus on what you don't want because you'll get it yeah 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 that's yeah. a good way of putting it yeah you talked at the end of the book about your goal now is no longer happiness but serenity tell us a little bit about what, what you sure. mean so that. like i was telling you with the whole if then uh, I, there was this constant pursuit of happiness. And, and, you know, I was a couple of years sober. I'd gone through family court. I was seeing and talking to my daughter every single day. And, 
uh, I'd gotten a huge book deal from, from Random House. And, um, you know, on the surface, everything was great, but I still wasn't happy. And I was like, something's wrong with me. Right. And so I went and I Googled the pursuit of happiness because I wanted to know what it meant in 1776 when, you know, they wrote the Declaration of Independence. And what I discovered was sort of eye-opening for me. Um, happiness back then meant honor, courage, how you live your life. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I thought it was pleasure and, you know, material things. And um, so on that day, I kind of said, you know what? I don't want to be happy. Screw happiness. And I decided that I was going to make serenity my goal because my belief was uh, I couldn't sustain my definition of happiness no matter what. Like, I, you know, when I was making two million, I wanted three million. And and so, you know, but I did think that serenity was something that I could maintain where good, bad or indifferent, no matter what kind of day I had, I could bring an element of serenity into it. And so ironically, on the day I stopped chasing happiness is the happiest I ever, ever became. So, wow. It's beautiful. I'm happy. I'm happy that that did happen for you. Really, no, but really. Thank you. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a good quote. Uh, it's from Mad Men. And uh, they always say, what is happiness? And they say, happiness is a moment before you just need more happiness. <laughs> That's it, perfectly, yeah. It's I've true. never heard that one. And, uh, and when you were talking about the story of, if I could just make this, if I could just make this, if I could just make this, then I'll finally be happy. Sometimes yeah. I think maybe maybe life would be better if I didn't achieve what I've achieved. Cause I was the same as you, but on a smaller scale, like if I can just get profitable, if I can just get thousand dollars a week and then, and then if I can just get $10,000 a week. And then sometimes I think maybe it would be better to never have got anything because then I'd be happy still thinking I had the dream that I could be. Right. Right. Rather than achieving it and being disappointed. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's perplexing, you know, to, to try to figure it out, but that's why, once I chose not to try to be happy, like everything sort of came together. And like, again, not, not, not a, a, a great anecdote, but like recently I went, I went to um, the, the bagel store and like in a matter of like 30 seconds, I waited and I held the door open for this older woman. Then I walked in, I found 20 bucks on the floor and I like, you know, grabbed it and, you know, gave it to the person who had dropped it and, um, over there, like I, I, I helped someone like carry things out of the car and people were looking at me like I was insane. I felt like amazing. Right. And, and it cost me nothing. Yeah. Um, yep. so. for sure. That, that, that serenity, that's what you're serenity. getting met yeah. in those moments. Yeah. And you, where do you live now, attorney? I'm uh, I'm out on Long Island. Uh, my daughter is a sophomore, so when she graduates, I'll I'll probably make a move. Um, but uh, I'll be here for another couple of years. But you still get to get have good bagels, so I'm a little jealous of you right now. <laughs> that bagel store you were in, I'm like, ooh, what kind of bagel did he get? <laughs> <laughs> everything, toasted butter. <laughs> You're killing me now. I love that everything. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. You know, I it's funny because part of me, you know, when I was reading the book. Of course, it just lit me up around my experience with Wall Street, but what's happened in these last two weeks uh, and, you know, my own frustration with the way certain things are being handled. I, I almost feel like, you know, that I, I'm curious, especially because you write for billions, you still contribute to that. How, I'm curious, do you feel the 
temperature of that show will shift? Do you, are you guys going to cover uh, this story? Because so it, I, it just I, feels like a shift is happening, right? Yeah, but I, I so I haven't talked to the guys. Um, so I, I can't tell you for sure. But judging from Twitter, they're not going to they're not going to make a shift. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I mean, we live in such a bizarre time with yeah. with the news cycle, like literally a month from now, like we might not even be thinking about Good GameStop. Point. Good point. So I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. how fun? How fun is it being a writer for them? Uh, well, I, I only consulted, but it was it was amazing. It was it was really fun. Um, you, you can in the first two seasons, you can definitely um, see my fingerprints if you read the book or if you know me. Um, and and in season four, there were a couple of episodes that I I contributed a lot. Um, but it yeah, it, it was an amazing experience. Uh, I'm now working on a couple of projects. Um, on my own, uh, and I'm trying to kind of segue into film and television full time. I, I ghost wrote a couple of books after the buy side, which was fine and it paid my rent. Uh, but when I wake up in the morning, like I love screenwriting, and so yeah. that's kind of what I've been focusing on. Yeah, and do, do you have another book coming coming soon? No, uh, no. It, the, the the work that I was doing on my other book is kind of morphed into a screenplay. Okay. So are you, we'll are you see, comfortable we'll sharing what the screenplay is about? Not, not yet. Not yet. Okay. No. When you are ready, will you let us know? We'll have you back sure. on to talk about it. I Definitely. think you capture your, you know, your journey through wall street and so much of, you know, the good, the good, the bad and ugly is you, your just ability to relate it, you know, to live it is one thing, to, but to be able to speak to it in a way that is, real and authentic and not condescending to anybody with within the community or outside of the community that's a delicate razor's edge and you really succeeded at doing Thank that you. i think people would love that book whether they've worked on wall street or not you know it gives I appreciate that yeah and it, and, it, and it has heart you know and you and you show too i love so many of the people i worked with on wall street and i f- am frustrated that they get painted with a bad brush you know all of them right. and it, it just felt like you know yes you you did it you did expose things that are not ideal but you did it with heart and with a sensitivity towards them so thank you well done well done hard to thank do you. hard to do any other questions you have Stephen? no no i just just thank you for the the honesty the vulnerability and um of course, and the, thank and you. The truth um i love it i absolutely love to hear from the other the other side i hate to say it's the other side i guess we're all, we're all traders right but i love to hear from the other side so just thanks for coming on i think it's great value of course uh, for the audience yeah thank you yeah thank you so much Tony. uh i hope you guys will watch uh, will read his book the buy side i think it's really important for you to understand the people that you are up against in your trades and to just understand their mindset and what motivates them because it's definitely impacting what you're experiencing. So thank you and uh, we'll say goodbye for now. Ahoy ho.